This week on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making podcast, we join Pastor Brian as he begins his winter class titled Faith Filled Family. Today, he will cover how our own spiritual health will help lead to fostering a Christ centered family environment. All right, guys, well, we'll go ahead and start. Um, there may be a few more that come in a little bit late, but that's all right. They'll have to sit all by themselves at the table that's all empty. So uh, thanks for excluding them, the latecomers. That's good, y'all. Um, well, welcome. Glad you guys uh, made it for this. Hopefully, uh, this will be a, a valuable thing for you over the next three weeks. Faith-filled family is what we're calling this class. And uh, got a lot of stuff in store for us over the next few weeks. But uh, to start us off, a few housekeeping things. Um, you have notebooks on your table. Um, we're going to add to that every week as we go through with more content. Um, so bring that back, if you will. You can take it home. Uh, we made enough for everybody. If, if you as a, a couple just want to have one, that's fine. Um, but you're welcome to each have one of your own to take notes in as you go. Um, we got some fill in the blanks for all of my type A people. I'll try to make sure you have all the, all the uh, answers for your blanks. I know uh, you can get a nervous tick if you don't have them all f- filled in. But, um, but bring those back each week. Uh, schedule on a weekly basis. We'll, we'll always try to start as close to 6.30 as we can. We know it takes time to drop off kids and all that. So 6.45 for sure. We'll, we'll get started. We'll always be done by 8, though, so you can get your kids um, child care workers stay here till 8.15. After that, they let your kids go. Um, so we'll make sure that you're down there by then. Uh, yes, they do. Yeah, yeah. No, they don't take them home. Um, they give them candy and then they leave uh, so that you can take them home. But, um, but we'll get it all done. And we are recording all of these. Um, so if you happen to miss a week, if you miss week two, um, what I'll try to do, it takes a little bit of time to get the recording like edited out and, and sent out, but um, I'll try to send it out before the next week. So if you want to listen to it and come back for week three, um, you'll be able to do that without feeling like you missed everything. But then the whole thing will be available at the end. And actually all the classes will be, and this is not known yet. We haven't announced this to the church, but um, there's a second podcast. If you have an Apple iPhone, you can even, or uh, whatever is there another phone besides Apple? Um, all you other people, whatever you use for podcasts, it should be on there as well. But if you even want to pull it up now, you can look it up. Um, we have our normal Emmaus Church podcast with all the sermons. But there's a, it's called the Emmaus Institute podcast. And it has um, all the classes we've offered in the past. And we'll continue to update it with ones in the future. So um, if you were debating on which class to take um, and you settled on this one, uh, because you like me the most, of course. Um, good choice. But, uh, but you can always go back and listen to the other ones afterwards. But, um, but yeah, this class is all about uh, the, the concept of discipleship in the home, engaging our spouses, engaging our children uh, in, um, in following Jesus, cultivating an environment in our homes where uh, that's conducive to seeing them walk closely with the Lord. So uh, there's no official book that we'll be following. Um, I've, I've leaned upon a lot of different resources um, as I put this content together. Um, I've tried to bring a lot of those um, up this week. This is really just for this week. I, we're going to cover a lot of ground tonight. I, I don't know that we'll have time to get through it all, but um, but each week I'll, I'll have books up here if you want to explore any of them. Uh, there is a book that I've ordered for all of you guys that you'll get um, the last week to take home uh, yourselves to read that I think is going to be really valuable alongside what we're going to be covering. Uh, but it's not really any official book that I'm, I'll be teaching. More than anything, uh, this class is really just grown out of a, 
uh, a sense of burden that I have felt growing through the years in my own life as a, as a father, as a spouse, uh, to my wife Lauren, who's in the room. Um, uh, but then also as, as your discipleship pastor, as, as one of your pastors who is perennially thinking through how do we as a church follow Jesus closely. And if you've looked around any time recently, one of the things that's very clear is well, there's no shortage of little kids running around Emmaus. It just feels like they're popping out everywhere at every given moment. We, we used to just do like uh, uh, child dedication services once a year. We now have to do it twice. And they, we used to just do it in one service one time a year. And now it's like every single service uh, multiple times a year. So, uh, which is a beautiful thing. I mean, uh, God, God gives babies and, and we're grateful for uh, the, the growth that he's bringing to our body through, through childbirth. That's a beautiful thing. Um, there's churches where they haven't seen babies in years. And so we're just grateful for that uh, in, in a really re- real and sincere way. But in a, in a true sense, like that's a incredible, with every increased baby, that's an incredible uh, burden that's brought to bear upon our congregation spiritually. Um, we, we all know this, the Bible places the primary burden of disciple-making uh, for children on parents. It places us as moms and dads, as uh, leaders in our family, it, it places us as responsible for seeing our young ones grow in the faith. Um, we, we see this all over in Scripture. We'll look at a few of the different places. But, but God has really created the family to be the hub of discipleship, uh, even in some ways, uh, equal to the church. Um, You see this with marriage, like marriage God created to be a a place for mutual discipleship where we sanctify our spouse. We're not supposed to be stagnant spiritually in our marriages. We're supposed to have this push and pull where we're helping them follow Jesus closer. They're they're helping us. There's this natural sense of accountability that plays out on an ongoing basis. The same is true uh, with children. God placed children in homes, put them in families uh, for for the, the task of the faith being able to be passed from one generation to another, uh, children from a young age being able to be raised in a knowledge of God and in the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> this is something we see all over the Bible, and it's a reality that really hit me the hardest when, uh, when our first daughter was born. Um, my wife Lauren and I have been married for almost 11 years. Uh, we just celebrated 10 uh, in the summertime, so coming up on, it'll be 11 years uh, in May. But... Um, and, and to a certain extent, when we got married, I began to feel that weight of spiritual responsibility for my home, like God has called me to help disciple my spouse. So we got married, and I began to think, like, should we be doing Bible studies together? Should we pray? How do we, how do we approach this? Um, that, that weight hit me a little bit there. But when we had a child is, I think, really when the weight became heavier in my mind. When I, we went to the hospital, and, and we bring Emmy home, seven years old. This is, this is my family. Um, got a picture of all of them. So Emmy is down there um, in my wife's arms. Uh, she's seven years old. Hudson is five. And then Ella in my arms, uh, she is almost three. She'll be three next month. Um, but when I brought her home is really when I began to realize like how big of a task this is. Like here God has entrusted this tiny little soul to me. Um, and not that we know salvation belongs to the Lord, that he can work through uh, the worst of parents to bring about salvation. We all have uh, friends and, and we know of people, uh, maybe you are those people where the Lord just redeemed you out of a, a family where there was no spirituality whatsoever and His grace overcame all that. And yet, God calls us as His people to be, a, be people who foster an environment 
um, of, of godliness in the home uh, to where that doesn't have to be the story for our own children. And, and the weight of that is a heavy thing. And uh, I'm a pastor, like I've been to seminary. I, I literally get paid to read the Bible and to pray. Um, I, I spend a lot of time studying the Bible. I love the Bible, but when I think about that weight, when I pause and I consider my children and I think through that weight through the years, the biggest emotion that I have felt, even with all the knowledge I have of Scripture, uh, the biggest emotion that I most often feel is insecurity. When I think about that task, I, I don't walk around with this confidence of, oh, I know exactly what to do to raise my kids to love God. No, I walk around with, with fear. Am I doing it right? Am I doing the right things? Am I, ha, have I messed them up? Have I destroyed them forever? Um, and, and I know if I feel that way, then I know so many uh, in our church and in our, um, in, in our missional community groups all over the place feel, feel that way as well. Um, uh, we want to raise our kids to be godly, but we don't quite know what to do ourselves. And so that's really what I want to try to explore through the course of this class. Help you think through um, how to approach discipleship in your home. Um, I want this to be interactive. I want us to have some moments of discussion as we go through it. It's not my goal to be sitting up here and, and just be a talking head, uh, giving you all the answers. To be honest, I don't have all the answers. Uh, I'm still in the midst of this. I have never raised a teenager yet. I still only have toddlers. Um, but my, uh, my heart and my burden for this issue has been such that I, I have tried to explore a bunch of different resources on the topic and asked a lot of questions to older and wiser people than me. And my goal over the next uh, three weeks is just to put as much of that wisdom before you as I possibly can. And more than anything else, I want us to walk away really having done two things. One, understand that biblically it is our role and it's our responsibility. Um, to not think that it's, a, it's the church's role to disciple our kids or it's, it's, it's um, you know, somebody else out there. Like we need to take initiative in that department and understand biblically that, that uh, God has called us to that task. But then secondly, uh, I just want to help us walk away with some ideas um, and, and some new friends to, to brainstorm with as we go through this journey together. I think one of the best uh, tools for all of us in our, in our tool belt of, of parenting, of godly parenting, uh, for the lifetime is brothers and sisters who also love the Lord who are also trying to parent. Because uh, there's going to be moments where you, where, where all of us hit, hit like, I don't know what to do. The crisis moments where um, everything we're trying doesn't seem to be working. Um, the, the child just won't seem to uh, respond to all the uh, parenting and discipline and, and, and discipleship methods we're going for. And in those moments, having brothers and sisters who can pray with you and uh, offer advice uh, is, is a really good thing. So hopefully you'll walk away with some of that as well. But, um, but that's the goal. Um, here's where we're going. Uh, three weeks is, is sort of all the time we have. Um, so um, we're going to move fast to get through all the content that we have. But tonight, uh, I've titled it, It Starts in the Heart. We're going to be diving into our own hearts and really trying to look at what, um, what it means for us to be spiritual leaders, what kind of people we need to be if we're going to be effective at this task of discipling our families, both considering our spouse and considering our children. Uh, so it starts in the heart. That's this week. Next week, we'll jump into, uh, I'm titling it family worship, but just diving into the biblical mandate and then also some, um, some strategies for how to approach discipleship in your family. Uh, we're not going to get super practical and specific next week. It's going to be uh, more specific uh, on the third week, but, but the second week I want to give you um, a few different categories to think about as you approach the issue 
Um, we'll talk about it at tables and things like that. And then on the third week, um, we've, we've titled it Shepherding Little Souls, and we're going to dive deeper into uh, specifically your relationship with your kids and discipling them. So next week, we'll focus on the whole family. The third week focuses on the kids. Looking at really two things, um, sort of offensively, how do we approach discipleship when it comes to devotional time? Um, and we want to really equip you there since you're at Emmaus with some resources from our own Emmaus Kids Ministry and how your devotion time at home can connect with um, what we're doing here. So Jesse is actually going to be helping us out in week three, leading, leading some of that. Um, and then also, uh, when it comes to our kids' hearts, there's a defensive battle that we need to fight as well, which is like protecting our children from the enemy and protecting from the schemes of the enemy with technology, um, w- with the modern age in which we live. There's some practical things that we all need to be aware of. Um, so we'll get into some of that as well when we get into week three. But um, you got your notebooks, bring them back. We'll fill it in as much as we can. Hopefully we'll all walk away a little bit wiser than we were when we walked in. So uh, let me pray for us, if that's cool, and we'll, uh, we'll jump in. Jesus, we love you, and we are grateful for your grace towards us, um, for bringing us here tonight, Lord, for, for saving us, Father, for, for leading us to uh, have a love for you, Father, and, and for prompting something in our hearts over the last few weeks as we you know, did sign-ups and registrations for these winter classes, Lord, prompting us to, to come to this one. Uh, some, something in us, Lord, feels the weight of responsibility that we have for our families, uh, for, for leading our, our spouses, for leading our children, for leading our, our homes to be places that um, are conducive for spiritual growth. So I just pray, Lord, with that initiative that you've put in our hearts, that desire to, to be equipped, Lord, I pray that you would meet us with yourself. Father, we don't, need, we don't need Brian. Father, we need you. We need your word to speak. We need wisdom from heaven. So I pray that you would uh, speak to us over these next few weeks. Uh, speak through me, Lord. Allow us to contemplate together what this needs to look like for, for us in our own environments. Lord, I know we all come from different homes with different age kids and different uh, types of families, Lord. But I pray that into, um, into all of those contexts, you would speak with your uh, your truth, Lord, which applies to, to every situation, and, um, and that that truth would give answers and, and allow us to walk forward um, more faithful to your name. So lead us, guide us, protect us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, pull out your notes. Um, I'm going to start off with a sentence, a uh, foundational big idea that's sort of going to sort of guide our time, or at least be the, the ground that we're going to stand on. Um, through our time tonight. Uh, And that sentence is this, as we seek to instill passion for Jesus and faithfulness to the Bible in the hearts of our family, we must cultivate the same in ourselves. Okay, I know there's a lot of words there, we're going to unpack them, but um, as we seek to instill passion for Jesus and faithfulness to the Bible in the hearts of our family, we must cultivate the same in ourselves. And this is what we want, right? There's two little phrases there, passion for Jesus, uh, faithful. I'm sorry, if anybody has epilepsy, these screens are sort of like flickering, so I apologize for that. But um, passion for Jesus, faithfulness to the Bible. This is the goal of this class. This should be the goal of all of your hearts when it comes to uh, discipleship in your home. We're not after Southern hospitality religion. We're aiming higher than just good church people who go to church on Sundays and go to missional community group during the week. Like we're aiming for for little souls that love Jesus, that from the heart are after Him, that, that love His Word, that are uh, faithful to His Word, not because their parents are telling them, we're a church family, we're Christians. 
but because from their heart, they're, they're, they're wanting and desiring to follow Jesus. That's what we're after. And as we seek to cultivate that and, and see that grow in the hearts of our family, what I'm trying to get at uh, here, here in session one is it's never going to grow uh, if we don't start uh, cultivating that, that same stuff in ourselves. Um, another way to say this sort of in the negative form, you've probably heard it said, is we cannot give what we do not possess, um, it, which is just sort of a reality we see absolutely in Scripture, but also all, all across life in general, right? Like as parents, we give more than just our genetic code to our kids. We have values, we have uh, mannerisms, we have uh, ways of speaking, we have a style of life, and our kids witness all that, and they start to mimic it, they start to pick up on it, they start to see it. Uh, this is where we get phrases like, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, or monkey see, monkey do. We, we are constantly impressioning uh, the, the people around us. God has wired us in such a way that uh, people who are in closest relationship uh, to us are, are big influence big influencers in our life. Um, and so that being said, our kids see all this and they're naturally being, being molded without us even trying, right? I promise you, your kids know what you love and they know what you care about. Um, I did a little experiment this week. I was, I was thinking through this stuff and I was like, I'm just going to test this with my own kids. So I, I went into the rooms, it was bedtime, and I uh, asked them, what do you think are the things are that daddy cares about most in this world? And uh, I'll, I'll show you Hudson's answers because they, um, they were the answers I would want to hear. So <laughs> <laughs> let me see if I can get this to play. Hey, buddy, what's your name? Hudson. And how old are you? A little glitchy there. Question what do you think are the most important things to Daddy in the whole universe? To Daddy? Yeah, what's, what are like the things that Daddy cares the most about in the whole world? Okay. Like give me, give me just a few things. Right. How many? Right. Okay. Okay, let's do it. He loves God. Okay. The Bible. Okay. And he loves Georgia Bulldogs. God, the Bible, and Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> okay. That was great. Um, and, and he's spot on. Um, uh, that's exactly what I care about, or, or those are at least a few of them. Um, uh, <laughs> what were the other videos? Um, I actually, I didn't do Ella. She was already asleep, but, uh, but I did do it with Emmy. Hers was just a little bit longer. She's a shy child. So like putting her on a, a video, uh, wasn't quite conducive, but she said, she did say, she said Jesus. And then she said our family and she said the world. And, and I was, I had to like, what do you mean? I love the whole world. And she was like, you know, you love to, you love mountains and you love to ride your bike in the trees. And so she was trying to get at like, daddy loves nature. So, um, but it's true, right? I mean, go ask your kids, go ask them what you care about and, and the things for good or for bad, they're going to, they're going to show you because they see what you spend your money on. They see what you give time to. They see what you wake up early for. Uh, by, by the nature of them having the most access to us more than any other, we are constantly leaving an impression upon them. And my point behind all this is just to help you understand, if you want to be a parent that sees your children fall in love with Jesus, don't think it's just about what you're going to teach them. It has to be about who you are yourself. You have to cultivate in yourself a love for Jesus so that you can model for them something that's worth uh, imitating, something that's godly, worthy of being 
uh, followed. How am I already to this point? Um, I think I messed up when I put his video in here somehow. Oh, well. Um, all right, I want to give you an example of what I'm trying to say from Scripture. Um, in your notes, I think it says a tale of two families. Um, we're going to look at two quick stories from the Bible um, where you sort of see this uh, either godliness, there's a positive example and a negative one. Godliness in a parent that sort of uh, results in godliness in the child, and then um, conversely, the opposite is true as well. So the first one, uh, the positive example would be the, the, the story of Daniel. Uh, all of you have studied Daniel in the Bible, I'm sure, at some point. What do we know about Daniel? Audience participation moment. What do you know about um, Daniel? Prayer. Yeah, he was a man of prayer. He had this incident with lions. You remember that? Daniel and the lion's den. Uh, anything else come to mind with Daniel? Prophet. What was that? Prophet. He was a prophet. That's true. Yeah. He, he had, loved the law. He loved the law. Absolutely true as well. So um, the story of Daniel, if you go, I'm not going to make you read the whole thing. Uh, and we're not actually even going to go to Daniel tonight. So um, uh, sorry if you started flipping there. You can go to 2 Kings if you want to, 2 Kings 22. Um, but Daniel was, uh, in the meta narrative of, of the Bible, sort of the big history, Daniel shows up during the period of exile for the Israelite people. So we're in Exodus right now. Uh, eventually, after the people get away from Egypt uh, and go to the Promised Land, the Lord leads them there. He eventually sets up what we know today as modern-day Israel. In that part of the world, they became a people. Um, they took over that land. They, they drove out you know, the Palestinians and other people who li lived there. God um, let them take possession of the land. They end up setting, setting up a, a monarchy. So you have King Saul. You've probably heard his stories. King David was the second king. Uh, after that was King Solomon. Uh, shortly thereafter, the kingdom splits, and there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And eventually, uh, they just keep having bad kings. There's like this ongoing cycle in Israel of good king, bad king, good, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king. Um, and every time there's a bad king, God puts them into some sort of slavery. He lets them lose some wars. Then they humble themselves. They repent and God restores them. Usually a godly king shows up and leads about this, this great national repentance. It's this, if you go read First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, you're going to see that whole story just repeating. Um, but at the end of it all, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes in and he destroys Israel. And Israel's done and he begins a, a period of conquest where the Israelites aren't their own people. They've become slaves once again uh, under the control of Babylon. And when he did that, he took, he, he wanted to eradicate Israel. So he took the best and the brightest Jewish boys and brought them to his palace to train them to be Babylonians. He gave them new names. He taught them the Babylonian gods. He, he taught them how to eat like Babylonians. That's the story of Daniel. So he is a young guy, the, one of the best and brightest from Israel, and he was taken to Babylon. That's where his story picks up. If, uh, and if you remember, he has this like iron soul where he, even though they're, they're telling him, eat like this, do all this stuff, he's like, he pushes back against it, right? He, he tells them, no, I want to I eat the way I learned in Israel. I want to just eat fruits and vegetables and, and, and water. Uh, I don't want to eat the way you've taught me. Um, and which is what we all want from our kids, right? Like them to have the ability when cultural pressures and when peer pressures are pushing against them, they don't bend. We want them to, to push back with godliness. Like Daniel is that guy. And a few years ago uh, in Men of the Word here at the church, we studied the book of Daniel. And as I was reading it, all I could think to myself, like it's pretty obvious from context, he's probably 19, 20, 21, 22. 
all I could think is, how do you get a young man to turn out like a Daniel? Like what, what resulted in Daniel being this kind of a guy? And so I, started, I was just fascinated by the question. I started reading about Daniel's family and his background and what he was raised in. And what you find out is uh, he was raised in the court of King Josiah, um, which I don't know if you studied King Josiah. You can read his whole history in 2 Kings 22 and 23. But King Josiah has to be uh, one of my favorite kings in, in all of Israel's history. If I could go back in time, I really love Hudson's name, but I might rename him Josiah because it's a really, really powerful moment. A long history again of bad kings, but then Josiah shows up, and this is what we read about Josiah. He was eight years old when he became king, um, and somehow he must have had just a godly uh, somebody in his life who, who taught him the law, but when he was 20, he became the real ruler. He had sort of a regent for a time, um, but when he was 20, he... he the first thing he does is he starts to enact reforms in the temple. He says, I want, the, I want God's house to be cleaned up. So they start to clean it up. As they're cleaning, they find the law. They find the Bible in the walls of the temple. Like somehow through all the bad kings, the Bible was thrown out. Like Israel, the, the people of God got rid of. And so no one knew what God desired. All the Ten Commandments, all the law that were unfolding in Exodus, it was gone. But Josiah, God allows him and through his reforms to find it. And he reads it and he, he leads this national repentance and he restores the Passover. It's this glorious thing. And this is how he summarized, okay? We're not going to watch that again. Uh, it says, Before him uh, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. And this is even like with David, um, you know, in consideration. Josiah was a unique man. And he, uh, from 20, he was, I think he was 39 when he uh, was killed. So he had a kingdom for 20 years. And right after that is when um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes over. So the years when Daniel was being raised, when he was born and when he was being raised were what? They were years of repentance and reform and return to godliness for the people of Israel. Josiah was creating this environment where godliness was being instilled in the people. Now, I'm not saying that the only reason Daniel was, was godly was because of Josiah. We know the Lord and his sovereignty uh, worked powerfully in his life. But what I am saying is uh, Josiah created a really awesome environment where a man like Daniel could grow up, uh, could, could get the, the right values. And contrast that with the second family I want to talk about, which is Eli. Um, and his sons Hophni and Phinehas, which you find them in 1 Samuel chapter 2, if you want to go look there. Um, and you can go read the full story later. Ah, 23. Thank you. Good, good catch. It is verse 23, not verse 25. Um, oh, chapter 23. The correct citation is 2 Kings 23, verse 25. Um, okay, so in, in, this, in 1 and 2 Samuel is where we pick up on Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. And uh, Eli was a priest at Shiloh, we're told. Uh, Eli is the guy who eventually, um, if you remember the story of Hannah, and then she has the, the baby, she's barren. She eventually has the baby uh, Samuel. But she comes and she's crying. She's offering her, her yearly uh, sacrifices on the altar. And she's just crying. And Eli thinks she's drunk. <laughs> and he's like, why are you why are you drunk at the altar, woman? And she's like, no, I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm sad. I'm barren. And he prays for her, and then she gets pregnant. And uh, from that, she ends up giving her son to Eli to be raised. She felt like the Lord 
had, had called her to commit him to work as a priest in the temple. And so that becomes Samuel, who eventually will anoint King David and uh, King Saul, anoint them as, as kings. He becomes the, the um, high priest in all of Israel. But um, Eli was the high priest that raised Samuel up. And Eli had two sons of his own, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were awful. We don't really see that Eli was that bad of a guy. Altogether, he seemed like a pretty faithful priest. But his sons were horribly corrupt. They would take like the sacrifices that were being altered. They would go in and they'd take meat out for themselves. Uh, the the, the like, uh, prized fats and the things that in the law God told people to sacrifice to him, they would go in and, and take them. They were polluting the worship of all the people. I mean, I don't know that it gets any worse than that. As a pastor, like I cannot imagine standing before God someday and being charged with polluting the, the proper worship of God's people. Doesn't get worse than that. Um, and the worst part about this story is, is that even though Eli, Eli sort of confronts them at a few different moments, you see it if you read through the, those two chapters. Um, but look what God says about Eli in uh, chapter 2, verse 29. 1 Samuel. Hopefully I got that citation right. He says this, why then do you scorn, he's talking to Eli, God's talking to Eli, why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? He holds Eli responsible for the things that his son's doing. And then he even um, says, you're honoring them above me by, by, not ref- by not removing them from office, by not by not fixing this stuff. He was putting his sons uh, before them. And here's the question I want us to explore. What's the difference between them? Like, uh, we obviously see two different uh, families playing out here and two different outcomes being played out. But what are the two differences um, that, that we see in the two families? And again, salvation belongs to the Lord. I don't want to uh, in any way confuse you guys about that. It's God who saves. It's the Holy Spirit who regenerates a heart. And yet the Bible's clear that we have a duty as parents to sort of lay kindling around our children's hearts so that as God saves them, it results in this faithful obedience and not, uh, not a lack of maturity. So what's the difference between these two guys? I think there's two, and I think you have blanks in your notes if I did it right. Two big differences. The first one is um, passion or fervor for God. Um, there is something, when you look at those two verses I just had up there, um, which let's go back, there's something... Of a, of a fullness, I'm sorry, I can't click through PowerPoint. Um, the way Josiah's worship is described, there's something about, about the way it's phrased there that I just love. All his heart. Like all his, like there's, it's not compartmentalized. This is, Josiah was a guy of passion, of fervor for the Lord. Uh, th- there was a fullness there. It's not vanilla spirituality. There's, there's passion and zeal for God in, in him, which you contrast that to Eli. And he was comfortable on some level with this polluted worship because he wasn't uh, solving the issue. And then the second thing I would say, your second blank, is uh, priority. Um, I, I, that indictment against Eli that he did not honor God above his sons, that he actually inverted them and honored his children above God, I think is, is absolutely tragic. You know, the Lord, we've been studying the Ten Commandments and the First Commandment. Uh, does anybody remember it? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, the second one's no idols. The first one is have, have no other gods besides me, no other gods before me. Um, I want to be the only one. I want to have the prized seat in your hearts. 
And Eli, in some way, had allowed his children to take that. Hear me and hear me clearly. If you want to uh, love your children well, you need to love God more than your children. You need to make sure that the orders of your heart are right. So passion and priority, these are the two things that I think um, we have to cultivate in our own hearts. If we are going to see passion for Jesus infiltrate our families, we've got to be people who are passionate about Jesus. We cannot have vanilla faith. If we want our children to follow Jesus, we, we've got to make sure that our, our faith is, is huge. There's a guy, um, how many of you have heard of Bruce Wilkinson? He wrote a book called The Prayer of Jabez, which we uh, sometimes trample on around here. But um, uh, Bruce is a real faithful believer. Uh, 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 there's a lot of things that, that he said out there that are, that are really, um, really good. His Prayer of Jabez stuff is, is uh, you can take it or leave it. But... He talks about, um, in, in one book, he talks about through the Old Testament, um, you see a principle uh, uh, of, of parenting sort of play out, and he calls it the principle of three chairs. And he says, imagine that there's three chairs up on a, on a stage. Every time that you see uh, a faithful, passionate leader existing, their children are always one chair removed from them in faith. Like It's almost like they're growing up watching their parents be first chair believers, passionate about God, faithful to God, but they're almost spectators to it. They don't have that themselves. So they're in the second chair. Now, any t- so what must happen is they must have that, they must move in their own decision of their own volition to the first chair. They must choose to make that faith their own. But anytime they don't, their children will be third chair believers. You get it? Like their children aren't going to see the passionate father. They're going to see the the father who saw a passionate father, the passionate grandfather. And his point is, we have to be parents who always model zeal, model passion, model priority for God, model faithfulness, so that our children, uh, by God's grace, uh, as they're saved, will step into the same thing and and model it themselves. This is how generational faithfulness plays out. One more quick example, and then we're going to do discussion. Okay, I'm not too bad on time. As I was doing this and finishing this up, I was really worried that I was going to destroy time today. So we're in good shape. Um, Deuteronomy. And everybody flip here if you have your Bibles or if you've got a phone, go there as well. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to get practical uh, in just a few minutes about how to cultivate you know, sincere fat, um, passion for Jesus in our hearts. But one more quick example from the Bible to try and fully articulate what I'm saying scripturally. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy in the Bible, this is a sermon preached by Moses to the people of Israel right before they go into the promised land. Um, It's called Deuteronomy. That word in the Hebrew means second uh, law. And it's basically Moses repeats the whole law that he gave them back in Exodus. He repeats it all in Deuteronomy. Um, It's the second giving of the law. You get the Ten Commandments, I think, in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy again. Um, And then in chapter 6, though, uh, the whole book is is him just sort of encouraging the people to actually obey the law as they go into the promised land um, and reminding them, be faithful, take care of your heart. It's a really fun book to study if you've never um, read it before. It would be a long book to go through in a sermon series, but uh, I'm sure we'll do it someday. But in chapter 6, as he's he's just finished the first part of the law, re-giving it, uh, he, he says these words to all of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You're probably all familiar with 
Um, that language, we hear Jesus repeating it in the New Testament. But then he says this, You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. <clears throat> and then he keeps going. Um, I'm going to focus there on the, on the first ones, though, four through nine. These are going to be a foundation uh, throughout this whole class. We're going to continue to come back here to this passage. Um, but what I want, to, want you to see at this point is the two big commands that Moses is giving to the people in these. There's two you shalls. And the first one is, you sh- verse five, you shall love. And the second one is, verse seven, you shall teach. He's teaching his people, he's teaching the Israelites how to have enduring faithfulness when they go into the promised land. You want to be God's people, living on the fruits of His his blessings, living long in the land that He's about to give you. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and you shall teach all my law to to these kids. He's talking about generational faithfulness here, and and the point is clear. Uh, Yes, teaching is involved, but first... Loving is involved. Our own relationship with God has to have a place here. Uh, Raising, having generational faithfulness in our homes is about more than just what we teach. It's about who we are. It's about being something, not just teaching something. It starts in our hearts. Um, You know, just as I said before, if we want to see passion for Jesus and faithfulness in our families existing, we have to cultivate in our own hearts. Um, And this is why I'm taking a whole night just to talk about us. We're not getting into parenting stuff at all at this point. That'll be next week and week three. But I want to take time tonight to just make sure that your motivations are proper. I don't have five tips for you to help your kids fall in love with Jesus. But I can teach you to fall in love with Jesus. I can teach you to love the Bible and I can teach you to love God and to cultivate faithfulness in your own heart. And I promise you that that, if you'll start to walk in it, will do more for your kids than any five tips can. There's no silver bullet of parenting out there. We're going to get into some things you can try, but more than anything, your parents need you. They need you loving Jesus, and, and, and the impact that that can have on their hearts is profound. So with that, uh, you've got some discussion questions there. I'm going to give us five minutes here, 7.30. We're going to hop back into the rest of the content. Um, but take a few moments, go around the table. You don't all have to answer every question, but uh, somebody appoint yourself the table leader and just walk through a few of these questions and uh, talk through it, especially two and three. The first one, you probably already introduced yourselves. But uh, talk for a few minutes. We'll come back together. <laughs> all right, guys, I'm going to pull you back together. <clears throat> um, because we got a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, wish I could let you talk all night because I, I bet you'd grow quite a bit just from that. But uh, I, love, I love these environments. We, we do MC groups, and I hope you're all plugged into those. It's good to get to know folks on a really deep basis there. But with our church growing like it does, it's just hard to meet new, new people and, and make some new friends. So I hope, uh, please come and, and make it one of your own just side goals to, to make some new friends while you're here. Uh, exchange some numbers, have, have dinner with folks. Um, dig into community. All right, with what time remains, I want to get real practical here on like how to develop this kind of passion that we're talking about in our own lives, how we can cultivate 
passion for Jesus in, in our life. So we're going to go back to the basics here, Spiritual Disciplines 101. Um, because it's so often true in the Christian life, uh, like the, the, the ways that we're not experiencing that full and abundant life that Jesus promised isn't because we're lacking like some secret knowledge. It's because we're not practicing what we already know. Uh, the, the Christian life is not a complicated thing. Jesus tells us very clearly in, in, in his scriptures what following him looks like. And yet so often in the busyness of parenting and the distractions of this world, the busyness of jobs, our modern age, and all of our um, propensities towards being distracted, we don't practice the things that cause our hearts to be passionate about Jesus. So uh, we have to learn these things. These are the mechanics that we must practice before we ever seek to instill things in our own kids' hearts. So uh, spiritual disciplines is sort of a category of thought that uh, pastors and theologians have given to the, all the different things the Bible tells us to do uh, to cultivate healthy spirituality in our lives. There is no passage in the Bible uh, where like it's the spiritual discipline passage and it tells you the, the six spiritual disciplines to practice to be a, a good Christian. Um, None of that exists. It's sort of a, a way to consolidate a lot of stuff in the Bible. Um, so I'm going to go over three, the three biggest ones in my mind. There's a bunch of good books out there. I have a few on this table if you want to explore some. Um, and I, I wrote a few on your notes there of, of resources to explore as well. But, but I'm going to go over the three biggest ones that I think are the most important and will help lead you into all the rest. Like If you practice these three, you're going to be well on your way and they're going to by practicing them, they're going to they're gonna be a good coach in your life to train you in all the other things that might be necessary and important. So uh, let's jump through them rather quickly. None of this is going to be rocket science, but I hope um, it'll be enough that we can begin to understand how to practice them in our lives if we're not already. So first one, daily feeding from Scripture. Um, you could also call this one, read your Bible. Uh, and I'm, I'm choosing to call it feeding from Scripture because I want us to, to sort of grasp the incredible necessity of the Word for our spiritual lives in this, with this metaphor that we all understand of food, right? So, um, will, will you continue to live if you don't eat? No. Will, do you ever go through days and just forget to eat? Or does your body have natural <laughs> reminders to tell you? Um, this is all the same for our souls. And, and I'm not coming up with this metaphor of food on my own. Jesus gives us this metaphor. If you'll remember in Matthew chapter 4, when he's being tempted uh, in the wilderness, he's just been baptized. He goes to the wilderness to fast and to pray for 40 days before he begins his ministry. And in that moment, uh, Satan comes to him and tempts him a few times. And as he's fasting, he's hungry. And so Satan says, you have power. You created this whole universe. There's a rock. Turn it into bread. Aren't you hungry? And, and what does Jesus reply with? Does anybody know off the top of your head? Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. Yeah, he, he says, I don't just need food. I need something more than food. I need the word of God. I, I, am, I am feasting Satan, but I'm not feasting physically. I'm feasting spiritually. I need time with my father. I need time with, with, with his word. Um, and he's referencing what he quotes is Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8. I think it's verse 3 if I'm not mistaken, but uh, this passage that references manna back in the wilderness where, where God actually explains manna to the Israelites by saying, the reason I fed you with food every morning that you had to go out and collect you couldn't keep it for two days. I made you do that so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word 
of the Lord. He was giving manna, manna to the Israelites as a metaphor to teach them the importance of the Word of God in their life. You need it every single day. We talked about that. I preached on that actually back in the summertime. Um, and it all connects implicitly to Jesus' words in um, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, when He teaches us how to pray. And one of the things we're supposed to pray for is give us this day our daily our daily bread. He's not talking about just physical nutrition, although I'm sure that's a good thing to pray for every day as well. He's talking about like every day we should sit before God and say, Lord, I need something that only you have. I need your word and I need what it will do in my life. Um, we need the Bible. The, the point is very clear. As a follower of Jesus, as a, as a child of God, we need to be feasting on the Word every single day. One of my favorite passages to showcase this is um, 2 Timothy. Did I put it in here? Yeah. yeah, if you have your Bible, you can flip there. Uh, I love this passage. You're likely familiar with it, but I just want to uh, try to remind you. If I, can, if I can send you away tonight with one thing, would it be that you would read your Bible if you're not already? Like that thing, that habit in your life becoming a natural rhythm for you will be more transformative than anything else you can do in your life. And I mean that. Okay, so, uh, and you see this in 2 Timothy. Uh, Timothy um, is a young pastor, and Paul raised him up. He was like in, in Paul's youth group, basically. Um, and then he sent him out, and he's his own pastor, and Timothy would, or Paul would write him letters back and forth. How's it going? What are you having trouble with? Your people going crazy yet? Um, and, and this is the last, le- Paul's about to die. He's in Rome when he writes 2 Timothy. And he knows it's his last words to Timothy. And so he's, he's reminding him of what he's going to need as he loses his mentor. You know, you're losing me, but you, you have what you need. And this, these are the words he says. I'm going to actually start a little bit sooner uh, in verse, which is my favorite here. 14. Uh, he says this, As for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Hear that. He's not saying you learned it from me. I haven't been your mentor. It's been God. You thought, you thought I was discipling you. No, it was God doing it through the word, which is uh, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings from, from childbirth, um, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says these beautiful verses. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be, what's that word? Complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, what is all that saying? A lot of good words there uh, that we could summarize this way. Paul looking at Timothy and saying, you want to be complete. You want to be the pastor that God wants you to be. You want to be the parent that God wants you to be. You want to be everything that God desires of you, uh, perfectly formed without any gaps in it, uh, equipped for everything God desires you to do. What do you need? You need the Bible. It's breathed out by God and it's useful. It's profitable. You're not going to waste your time in it. It will teach you. It will reprove you. It will correct you and it will train you until you're mature and complete. That word um, there, complete, is the Greek word ardios, uh, which there's a school around here called Ardios Academy. Um, and it, it does mean like complete, but it, it's a little bit fuller than that. It's a, a construction term that um, would almost be used like if you were putting in a, a window or if you were putting in a door frame. And it means it is perfect. Like it's, there's no gaps. It's ardios. It is, uh, it fits it. It was made just for that. Like that is what the Bible does to you. It makes you like 
artios. It makes you complete, lacking nothing. Like how many, how many of us just walk through life with insecurity in everything we do, in our jobs, in our parenting, in our marriages? Like I don't know what to do. That's the, the biggest gnawing. In fact, every advertiser in the world and every commercial on the planet just like prays into that to get you to buy stuff. No, you do need makeup. No, you do need this car. No, you're not enough. Buy this for me so that I can have money. Uh, we, we walk around with this gnawing sense of lackingness and the Bible is sitting here telling us, I will form you perfectly. Just give yourself to me. We, we need the word church. Um, uh, so all that being true, give yourself to the word uh, and, and do it daily. So let me give you just a few quick um, tips here. How do we do this? How do we begin to uh, feast on scripture on a daily basis? I hope a lot of you have habits of the Bible, um, but let me try to reform them if they're bad habits or let me try to start them if you have none. Um, so three quick tips. Um, you can write these down if you want. There's no blanks for you on your notes. But number one, study daily. Keep it simple. Uh, Study every single day. Honoring the value of Scripture in our life as daily bread means that we need to eat it every single day. And I would even add another word there. This is not the Bible. There's the Bible. I'm going to stand over here as I say this. I would say study it daily in the morning because I think there is a great value, and I even think there's biblical uh, foundations for this, that we need this in the morning. Like we need what it's going to do for us what it's going to uh, shape us to be we need through the whole day. I'm not very, um, I, I, in the same way you can feel when you haven't eaten food, like when you get into the habit of reading the Bible every day, you're going to start to feel when you haven't eaten the Bible. Like you can feel it in your flesh. You can feel it in your nature that you're not very patient or gracious or kind or loving, that there's something lacking. And, and you, until you've had discipline there, you won't feel that. Um, but I promise you, as you develop that discipline, you feel it. And you, that's why you need it in the morning. It just doesn't, it's like when you fall asleep, it sort of resets and it just doesn't quite carry over. So um, find ways. And you might say, I have kids, I have a job, there's no way I have time. Well, you find time to eat, don't you? You've never made it through a whole day accidentally skipping a meal. Like you, you, you make time for the things that are important in our life. And I'm telling you, this is important. If you care about parenting, care about this. I promise it's necessary for you. So study daily, find time, set an alarm, make a habit, make a plan, do it. Your spouse is sitting at this table maybe, uh, make a plan with them. Set, have them grab your phone and set an alarm right now. Uh, whatever you need to do, but, but it's worth the time to, to make the habit of doing it daily. Secondly, study carefully. Carefully. There are bad ways to read the Bible. Straight up and down. It's not always profitable. Um, if you do it a bad way. Now, I, I don't want to like give too much science here. I'm not trying to, uh, I don't want to scare you guys off from reading the Bible by any means, but a few bad ways that some of you might have done before. One way would be Pop-Tart reading. Like um, whenever they invented Pop-Tarts, it was breakfast in 30 seconds. You know, you don't have to go through any work of prep. You just throw it in there and full nutrition is ready for you. Um, that doesn't, like, there's no way to do it in 30 seconds. When I'm saying study carefully, there's no way for you to just, uh, you've gotten ready, you got all this stuff done, and all you have is 20 seconds, and so you're just going to remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins its hearers. Thank you, Lord, for that word. Okay, I'm going to go on with my day. It just, you've got to give it more time than 20 seconds, okay? So don't, don't do it too fast. The other, another bad way, Ouija board reading. 
like, um, Holy Spirit, you're, you're, God, you're sovereign over all, so give me a word today. Give me that word. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> All right, maybe, maybe Ouija board will work. Um, <laughs> but on the whole, it, usually this is not a way to like feast on the Bible. Give the Bible at least the same respect you give it to like high school English novels. Read it. They, these, are, these are books with authors that have beginnings and ends. They're saying something like read Read what they're saying. Uh, uh, Google reading is another bad way. Like if you're, if you're struggling with parenting and you're like, man, I need a word from the Lord on parenting. Let me go to Google. Bi- what does the Bible say about parenting? And just looking for a quick fix. I'm not saying you won't find some truth there, but I'm, th- there's real feasting and correcting power of the Bible to be had. You're not going to get it if you're just giving it minute attention um, with carelessness. Uh, we have to give it more deeper looking than we do to social media. So a better way, be careful and consistent in studying books of the Bible. Start at the beginning, read to the end, pay attention to themes, pay attention to authorship, look up words you don't know. Like grab a dictionary and if you see the word propitiation and you don't know what it means, look it up. Find out what it means. Ask questions when you're confused. This is a book and you did go to high school. And your English teachers did teach you how to approach reading things. So use all those skills and and, uh, let's not treat the Bible with less respect than we do there. All right, flip real quickly in your things to Appendix 1. I'm sorry, there's appendixes. I know this is like deep state nerddom right here. But um, um, there are two appendixes for you um, in here. And both of them are ways to think about how to study the Bible if you don't have your own way. Um, the first one is something we've developed for men of the word. We go over this every single time. If you've never, oh, this is good. Another resource for you. If you don't have a good habit of studying the Bible, come to men of the word. If you're a man, come to women's Bible study. If you're a woman, they're going to be announced this Sunday. They'll start next month. We will teach you. We will do it with you. You'll do it with community. It's a really good resource at this church to help develop these habits. Um, but if you don't have time, you can't make it at 6 a.m., That's just the guys. The girls have lots of various times, which is awesome. Um, But these are here for you. So uh, the first one uh, is, I wrote this. Um, I used a lot of people's help to write it, but this will sort of help you think through how to study the Bible slowly. We also included in there, like um, Pastor Travis helped me with this. There's different genres of scripture. There's like uh, epistles in the New Testament, which are letters. Then there's history books. There's revelation, which is really weird. Like if you're coming to the Bible without any idea what you're doing, let this be a resource to you to just sort of help you know if you're going to start reading Revelation, read a little bit about what you're going to read before you start reading it so that it'll make a little bit more sense. So that's there for you to go deeper. The second one, though, Appendix 2, it's called The Here Method by Robbie Gallaty. This is what, if anybody in this room is like, I don't have any habits of reading the Bible. I've never had habits of reading the Bible. I don't know where to start, Brian. Please read this carefully and do this. Basically what it is is an acronym, H-E-A-R, with four steps every time you read um, to help you think through what you're reading and make sure you're studying it slowly and carefully. Highlight, basically read the text, highlight what stands out to you, underline it, um, explain, so what is... Why, why, why is it significant? Uh, think through what is being said 
in those parts that you highlighted. Apply. Uh, ask yourself some questions like, what does this mean for me? What, what, where am I falling short of what I'm seeing in this passage? What, is, what would obedience look like for me? Sort of thinking through this stuff and then respond. Uh, you, you sort of make a plan for yourself. Okay, I'm going to do this differently today in light of what I've read. Um, that's a two-minute overview. I can't give it more time right now, but uh, of what this article says. Feel free to read it at length, though, and you'll see more stuff. But, uh, but the big principle I want you to walk away with is study it carefully. Study it slowly. Study it carefully. Give yourselves 20 minutes in the morning. We're not talking about an hour. Uh, if you have an hour, awesome. But give yourself 10 to 20 minutes and get in the Word and read a book from beginning to end. Uh, slowly through time and grab a journal too. I'd encourage you with that. Journaling for me transformed my quiet times. For some reason, growing up in the church, nobody ever told me to write things down, like write Bible down. Somehow I stumbled into it in college and it radically transformed this thing going from just a book to like actually starting to shape me and change me. So I don't know why, but I'm just telling you, grabbing a book to write down what you're reading and write down what's sticking out to you. And, and it's sort of a prayer journal for me. I'm, I'm like, I'm writing in first person in, to God, and I say you a lot, and, and I'm talking to the Lord, but uh, just interacting with the Bible and interacting with God at the same time, it's a, it's a good thing for us. So study daily, study carefully. Third thing, seek to obey. Uh, don't just be hearers of the word, but actually seek to do them. Measure yourself against what you're reading in the Bible and then seek to live up to it. Um, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 that it's a, a double-edged sword, that it's able to like cut us and divide us and expose us. You will feel that as you read the Bible. You're going to feel the Holy Spirit like convicting you of things in your life that are really broken. One of the most important ways to experience this completeness that the Bible has for you is as the, the word cuts you to let it cut, to deal with the tension of where you're falling short and to, to respond to it with obedience. So um, seek to obey in the ways you can. Um, the Bible is filled with diamonds, but you got to dig for them. They're not sitting there for you. You got to go looking. Um, and it does not take a seminary degree. You do not have to be a pastor. We are not the spiritual Jedi. Like the, you, you can do this. I promise you, you can do it. But you got to give it time. you got to give it diligence. you got to be consistent. So um, study daily, study carefully, seek to obey. Any questions there? It took a little bit longer than I wanted it to. That's all right. Um, second big discipline that I would give you, um, daily persistent prayer. <laughs> the first one's read your Bible. The second one's praying. This is, you know, um, science level spirituality isn't, or college level spirituality, huh? Um, I know this is basic stuff, but, but hear me. Take a second and evaluate, evaluate your, your own habits. Are you praying daily? Are you reading your Bible daily? Are these things a part of your life? They have to be. It's so essential that they are. If we're going to be people who are deeply in love with Jesus and modeling that for our kids, we have to be this way. Prayer at its essence is about dependency. We do not pray for things that we can accomplish ourselves. I mean, hear me and look at your prayer list. You are not praying for food if you have grocery money. We live in the first world and money solves a lot of problems, which makes us a very prayerless people. I'm just being honest with you. You go to the third world and you will see what prayer looks like when there's no food and there's a lot of kids. Um, they know how to pray. Um, here we have to work harder. It has to become uh, a habit of discipline rather than a habit of necessity because we have so much. But a lot of really good passages to consider here. I wrote a bunch of them down there in your notes for you. 
but let me hop straight to what should it look like for you. Uh, two big things. Number one, pray daily. Um, again, same as studying the Bible. This needs to be a daily habit for your life. In Matthew 6, as Jesus is teaching us how to pray, that would be the best passage I would point you to um, as you seek to refine and build your prayer life. Um, his verbiage is, give us today our daily bread. The implication there is that Jesus is teaching us to pray every single day. We're supposed to have a, a consistent, constant connectedness with God through prayer. Um, in fact, that's why He died on the cross, is to reconcile us with Himself. And prayer is the means by which we experience relationship with Him. Uh, it's the place where this, um, this happens. Um, so, pray daily. Secondly, pray boldly and consistently. Um... Two big parables that I want to point you to. I think I have the references, references there. Just circle them and go back and read them later. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And then Luke 18, 1 through 8. Uh, the first one, Luke 11. This is the parable of the friend at night with the bread, if you remember. Um, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And he says, how many of you, if you had a friend who came to you, you're, you're asleep in your house, and your friend came to you at night was like, hey, give me some bread. I had a visitor arrive and I don't have any food. Would you mind sharing with me? Um, he, says, he says, of course you would give him the bread, not because you even cared or wanted to, but just because of his, what was, what's the word? I think it's, importunity, I think. yes, importunity. Yes, a good word to look up in a dictionary, y'all, as you read your Bibles. Um, but he's basically saying because of his, his uh, like boldness and inconvenience and him being like, uh, doing something that you really shouldn't do. Imprudence, basically, is the, is the concept behind that word. Um, because he was so bold as to ask in the middle of the night, his friend is going to give it to him. And God is the friend that's sleeping in that story. It's basically Jesus is telling us, bother me. Like, come, whatever your prayers are that you think might inconvenience me or bother me or require too much effort from my sovereign power, bother me. Pray can pray boldly. Come and ask me uh, bold things that you think are, are too big to pray for. Um, I'm happy for those kind of prayers. And then the other one, Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. Man, we neglect these so much when we think about our prayer lives. But uh, there's this parable that Jesus is, again, giving to teach us about prayer. There's a judge. Uh, there's this widow that has this injustice that's happened to her, and she just keeps bringing it to the judge. The judge is wicked. He has no desire to help her whatsoever. But Jesus says because she just won't stop asking, he finally gives her what, what she wants. And then he compares himself to the wicked judge, which is interesting. But his point is, if you don't get what you want when you pray, that doesn't mean stop praying. Like understand that there's bigger things happening in the universe than you might understand. Oh, God didn't answer my prayer. It must not be his will for me. No, keep asking. He's asking us to be consistent and persistent and annoying. Like we should be little toddlers. <laughs> you, you with toddlers, your kids, when they want candy, like be that to God. We're supposed to be this way in our prayer life. It's what he desires us to be. Um, I, I don't know that I have time for this one. I'll skip it. Um, I was going to give you another story. Remind me another time if you want to hear it. Um, third thing, third discipline I want to just close with. Uh, Faithful engagement with the church. Okay, so I'm basically giving you three things to make sure you're connected with and regularly engaged with. The Bible, make sure you have habits there. Prayer, make sure you have habits there. And being engaged with the church. All right, I know I'm your pastor, and I know that in some ways I could be sounding like a, a used car salesman when I say this, but I mean this from the bottom of my heart. 
sincerely when it comes to the Word of God. You are designed by God to be deeply connected with your local church. And I know that is us, and so obviously I have um, desires for that myself, but I want you to know they're pure desires. God has designed the church, whatever church you're connected with, to be a blessing and a protection to you. There are elders that oversee members in a church, praying for them, looking out for, for dangers, uh, having hard conversations when, when they're necessary. Um, uh, there's members that, that uh, uh, give, and, and that giving can bless you when you're in need, and, and that will speak truth to you when, when you need help. Uh, leaders that will feed you from the Word, that will spend time thinking through uh, uh, the Bible and, and preach. I mean, Anson preached a sermon on Exodus 21 on Sunday. It was the, like the hardest thing to prepare for ever, but he did a, a phenomenal job. This is what God's designed to be a good grace in all of our lives. We need the local church. There's no um, construct for a believer, a follower of Jesus in the New Testament, that's not connected with the local church. It would have baffled like the new age mindset of, oh, I'm spiritual, but I, I, I don't go to church would have just like baffled the, the New Testament believers because it didn't, there's, there's no concept of us not being connected. Um, God's created us to be connected for our good. Healthy spirituality requires us to be there. And hear me, if you want your kids to love Jesus and to love the church, they need to see you loving the church. They need to see you serving the church. They need to see you giving to the church. They need to see you faithfully engaged in the body in the ways that you're able to. And it's going to, again, model for them the way we're supposed to be. There's this um, research study that's been done. Um, if you care to read more about it, there's books that's been, been written. But um, that basically the summary was this. They found that in, in families that were uh, church-going families, regularly going to church, their children who grew up in church when they went to college, 80% of those kids ceased to be engaged with any church whatsoever within one year. So 12 months, they've grown up in church their whole lives. Eight out of 10. This this, uh, research was done, I think, about 10 years ago. So it might have gotten better. I don't think it has. Um, But eight out of 10 step away from church completely within 12 months. I think some of that is due to like they're, they're at a new campus and they just haven't found a home church. But let it not be so with our kids. Like God has created the local body to be a protection for all of us. Teach your children when they go off to college to find a church. Teach them one of the first, first things to do is, is find a body to belong to, pastors to lead you, friends to be connected with as a member in the body. So uh, all that to be said, three quick things about the church that I would encourage you. What should this look like for you? Number one, love the church. It's God's gift to you. Don't talk bad about her. Find a church you love. Uh, don't begrudge her. Um, love her. And secondly, commit to the church. Like, be a member. Sign your name on the line. Membership is the gate in our modern context for how we define who's who's the church and who's not. So become a member. Everybody in the world is welcome to attend our church on Sundays. What we as elders and shepherds, um, what we take seriously before God as our obligation for our members is those who are members. So, Become a member, commit to the church. Third thing is engage deeply with the body. Knit yourself in. Find people to get to know deeply. Um, share meals with them. Engage in community um, because that's how God's created it to work for us to be blessed by it. All right, I know that's a lot about spiritual disciplines, but remember where we started. There is something that God has called us to do 
We want to see generational faithfulness. There's something God's called us to, to do for sure, and we're going to get to that in the next few weeks. But there's also something God's called us to be. And don't, it's so, we're, we're a task-driven American culture. I know that. It's so easy to jump to the doing. But don't neglect the being. Don't neglect these good graces, these good disciplines that God has given us to walk closely with Him. So wherever you are, wherever you would evaluate yourself right now, invest in your relationship with Christ. Invest in your relationship with the Lord. Get into the Bible. Pray before you open your Bible tonight or in the morning. Jesus, teach me something. I want to know you closer. I want to I have that faith that Daniel had. So help me, Lord. Just pray and get in the Word, and I promise you with consistency the Lord will be faithful to, to do exactly what He promises, to correct you, to rebuke you, to make you full and complete, lacking in nothing. So um, I wanted to close with John 15, uh, which is the story about the vine and the branches that Jesus gave, um, but we don't have time. So I'm just going to tell you for your homework, if you don't have something that you're already reading in the Bible, go read John 15, um, especially verses 1 through 7. Uh, God has called us to abide with Him, and that's where all the good stuff comes from. So let me pray for us, and we will be all done. Jesus, we love You, and we thank You for Your grace towards us. And um, I do just pray, Lord, um, every single man, every single woman in this room, Father, would You put something in our hearts that would desire to draw near to You? Would You remind us of every promise in Your Word that says when we draw near, there You are. You're not far off. You're not hiding out of our reach. Father, You are waiting just uh, just there for us to, to come near, to boldly approach your throne. And you accomplished redemption for us so that we can approach. So I pray that we would. I pray that we would seek you and be men and women of passion who, who, who put you first in our lives, Father. And would that cultivate something in our homes that's truly uh, life-changing for our kids. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.